Good morning, church. You out there? We went through Daniel last spring. We did the first six chapters, and then we took a break through the summer, and that is right where we left off. So Kurt was reading the passage we're going to study today. And I put this graphic up. This was what we used uh, when we were going through the first six chapters. This is Babylon. In the background, just to remind you, or if you weren't here, the background is that Babylon came in, captured, conquered the Jewish people, defeated them, and in a couple waves, they, they brought Jews, exiles, back to Babylon. They picked the best and the brightest, the most attractive, the smartest. They brought them back to Babylon with the hopes that they would build their own culture up through taking the best of another people and, and making them their own citizens back in Babylon. They wanted to amalgamate them into their culture to adapt their ways, their beliefs, their values, but put that into good-looking bodies, smart brains, and be stronger. And this is what the book of Daniel is about. It's about living in exile in another place where I used to practice my religion here. They conquered me. Now I live here. And they are the dominant culture. It's, it was pluralistic in its faiths, many religions, many, many languages, different values than what the Jewish people had. And those exiles had to go through challenges of how much will I let myself become like Babylon? Their spiritual identities was being, they were being stripped of that. They were adopting the Babylonian values. And this is what the book of Daniel is about, that he lived through that. And here at this point though, he is an older guy. The story that he just read, he's in his like 80s. He has lived a lot of decades in Babylon because they took him when he was young. When we first started this series, I used a story about a, a chef who lived for many decades in the White House and then wrote a book about all the different presidents who came in and out and had a lot of great stories. And this is a little bit like Daniel, although he wasn't a chef. He came in as a slave, an exile, but he ends up becoming the number two guy under the king, running everything. But he sees this transition of leaders where um, Babylon is the great one power nation in the world. And then where we left off, the Medes and the Persians, it was a fantastic story. You can see there, Babylon was known for its massive wall. Chariots could race across it. The Medes and the Persians came underneath through the, the riverway, they figured out a way to stop the water and they came underneath at night and they defeat the Babylonians and Daniel lives through this and now he's serving a, another king and this king is Darius and in the passage that he just read, you're going to see how he lives through political infighting at the highest level and how he survives it. So let me see my next slide. I called this, this is actually Daniel, this is where he's going to, this is where we're going. Let me read to you um, the verse 16 says, Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. This is where we're going today. This is a famous painting about Daniel. Now, my next slide shows you what I called this, the Lion King. That's the name of this message. 
And we're not going to hold anyone up and sing a song, you know, but <clears throat> the Lion King right there in Daniel uh, 6.21, this is what Daniel says, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And if you grew up in church, you had to have heard this story. Daniel and the lion's den, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. But this is what I'm going to do. Let me see my next slide. I want to um, talk about the three kinds of leaders that are in this particular story. Now that graphic that had the big wall in the city, this is similar to us. In the same way that Daniel had a faith and found himself living in a culture that was hostile to his faith, that's how we live today. Christianity, the church, is not the most dominant force in our culture. And I've talked about that in some of our Gospel in Guam series this summer. And we also are being sucked into culture. Culture wants to amalgamate us, adopt its values, its beliefs, and to strip us of our faith identity. And we're challenged by that. And Daniel is experiencing it at the highest level where there's politics going on, po political infighting, basically. So I want you to see three kinds of leaders, and we're going to learn something from it. The first is Babylonian leader model number one, and this is the, the entire leadership that was set over Babylon. Because in chapter 6, verse 1, I'm going backwards from what the passage that he read, it says, it pleased Darius, that's the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account. So you have 120 kind of governors that are spread over all the land and then over them three presidents. Okay, And Daniel is one of those three. Now this is interesting because most of those leaders are not going to be of the old empire that was just destroyed. You don't want to come in and now we're going to put into leadership all the people we just defeated. But Daniel gets recognized because Daniel was already high up. He had in his experiences run. He was the number two guy at one point. So he knows Babylon. He's a good guy and he, uh, in terms of knowledge, but he, uh, but he also had a reputation that was good. So he's mixed in. He's pulled in. He's one of these three presidents. They're going to run everything, all right? And what was the reason for it? It says, to give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. It's a lot of land. It's an empire. And the king does not want to lose money or influence or I mean, just think about a, a business, a business, a guy who owns his business is not going to put people into that business leadership positions, people who are incompetent or who are thieves. You want people running your business who are good at what they do and you trust them. And that's what the king is doing. He doesn't want to suffer any loss. So he puts them out there, people that supposedly have those qualities. And then this happens. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he puts 120 governors out there, three presidents above them. Daniel's one of the presidents and they go to work. Now Daniel was good at his job. We've covered that through the first six chapters. But he also had integrity, but he also had 
this is like the third time he's described as an excellent spirit. Now, I don't know what your experiences are in work, what kind of bosses you've had. Sometimes you get a boss and they're just, they're driving you and they, they just care about results. They don't care about you. This is not Daniel. Daniel has an excellent spirit. He's able to govern himself in a way that people liked him. In the very first chapter, you have the head of all the eunuchs who, who's over him. You have the head of all the guard. Both of them like Daniel for the same reasons. It says Daniel finds favor in the people that are always at the leadership levels. They like him because of how he conducts himself. And yet, he's in this pool of leaders that it's going to be vicious. It's going to be stab you in the back. It's going to be, we're going to plot to take you down. We're going to bear false testimony against you. And somehow he's able to walk in the midst of that and serve the master God's given him with character and quality and get the job done. And the king sees it. And the king recognizes it in him. He's good at his job. He's got an excellent spirit. And the king's saying, I think I'm going to just make this guy number two. It's going to be me. And then it's going to be Daniel. Daniel's going to be over the other presidents. He's going to be over the 120. And that's what he's thinking. And so this is what happens. All of those other leaders start to plot. They don't like this. They don't like that Daniel's going to be put above them. And so they're going to set in motion a plan their first plan, it says, is that they are going to try to get some dirt on him. So <clears throat> it, says they, it says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Isn't that interesting? I mean... What if some, a, a group, this is like 120, a, a machine, go find dirt on this guy? What if there was an, a group existed right now that was doing that to you? We know your phone records. We know your internet searches. We know the conversations that you're having. <clears throat> Would they find anything? They, they've got cameras set up. They've seen what you're doing at work. What would they find? They tried to find dirt on him, and it says they couldn't. And actually, there's two categories there. One is, we want to we see if he's competent. Maybe he just isn't good. Is there, is there somewhere where he just didn't get the job done very well? Or maybe he's cheating a little bit, you know, taking a little bit under the table. But they can't find any fault. And so, it says... These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They're like, the only way we're going to get him is to go after his faith. He's got principles there that he believes in. And we can get him there. And I just layer that out there that this can happen to you. You can exist in a work environment where co-workers want to ascend upward and you're in competition and so they know what your views are on this this sensitive issue in culture and they spread that around you know what they believe about you know you know what they believe about this you know what their boundaries are and people go ah oh, really and they they bring you down because of the faith that you have and they're going to go after him and so it says these high officials they came by agreement to the king. Now, I think that's interesting. That this is language of plotting. I mean, 
Can you get 120 plus two politicians together to all agree on one thing? I mean, the one thing they agree on is take Daniel down. They have to come to agreement for how they're going to do that. They've worked out their deals, right? Well, if we take them down, who's going to take his place? You know, I'm not going in on this unless there's something for me, right? And so they come by agreement. They go to the king. I'm going to summarize this a little bit because we, I did a whole sermon on this section, but because it's been a whole summer, I'm giving you the background. And basically they go to him and they use flattery. They go to the king and they say, look, you're awesome. Let's make a law that says you can't pray to anyone but the king. Only the king gets praise. <clears throat> and the king's like, hey, okay, you know, I am pretty awesome. And you've obviously got my best interest at heart. You know, let's do this. So they come up with this law. Cannot pray to anyone but the king, King Darius. And then they know. They know that Daniel's not going to obey that. They're going to get him on his faith because he practices his faith regularly. And so they go and they wait and they're watching. And when Daniel prays, he goes into his house and he prays. I mean, they didn't have cameras. If it was modern day, they went click, 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 click. And then, you know, they're going to post it out there. You know, he's breaking the law. But they got their witness and they go to the king. And the first thing they do is they remind him, hey, we made this law. And you know, in the Mede and Persian empire, the custom is you can't change the rules. And that's true. We even see this in the book of Esther. The book of Esther is a story that also takes place in, Babylon, in the Babylon empires and <clears throat> Mede and Persians area. And Esther is Jewish. She's the queen to the king. They don't like Jews. They come up with a law that says we can kill Jews. And then the queen says, hey, I'm a Jew. And the king goes, what? You're not going to kill my queen, but it can't change it. And so we see in other parts of the Bible, this is true. You can't change. Once the Medes and the Persians laid a law out, you can't change it. And they remind him of that. And he says, yes, that's true. It's hard and fast. And then they go, guess what? Your man, Daniel, he broke it. And so here's what I want you to see. This is a type of leader, okay? Number one, they care about power. They care about power first and foremost. Everything I described to you is is them working to gain more power because Daniel stands in the way. He's going to be over them. They want to remove him. They care about power. And they, in that sense, they're really serving themselves, not the king. Because the king's getting tricked. The whole plan is to work the king into a position. Now he's in a corner he can't get out of. That's not serving the king. They're serving themselves. This goes against Christian character. It's not what God would say. God would say, the job you have, God has given it to you. You do your best and you work for your employer. You work for your boss as if they're always watching you. Not, oh, they're here. I better look like I'm really, you know. We live in an age where a lot of people work at home now. And they report, I did six hours of work. Did you? Or were you, you know, five hours of work and one hour ESPN? I, you know, I don't know. You know, this is in, it's your word. We're going to take you by your word, right? We, I, we're just starting our high school soccer season. I'm, a, I'm the coach for Harvest. And <laughs> he obviously doesn't go to FD. And then, <laughs> but uh, first two weeks, we just did a lot of, fitness in the morning. And a lot, the first week, it's like burpees and running and, and 
push-ups and all this stuff. And we got to do 10 of this and 20 of that. And so, you know, they're doing it, right? And they're reporting. But they didn't know that we were counting. And we just let them go, you know. And then like a week, half a week went by, I said, guys, I want you to know we've been counting. Because now what I'm looking for is integrity in my players. Did you do everything that we said or are you cutting corners? You see, the Bible says you're supposed to do it always like they're counting. These guys, they don't care about the king. They care about themselves because they're going to they're gonna orchestrate something that is damaging to the king. At the very least, they're getting rid of the best administrator. We're going to remove him because we want that. And so they care about power. I'm on the second one. They will serve themselves first, not the kingdom. And they will discard people to get there. Because Daniel's going to die. And they won't care about it. If I get to move up the ladder at your expense, that guy's getting fired, but I got a promotion. Daniel's going to get eaten by lions, but he's gone and now we can ascend. They don't care. This is a type of leader, right? The other, thing, other qualities about them, um, they're envious. This is all about the fact that the king likes him better and that he's, he's thinking, it says, about making him number two. They don't like that. And I also put here that to get the job done, they'll lie. They will subtle lies. I put bend the truth, right? We see this in verse 13. Look what, look what it says in verse 13. This is what they're saying to the king. They answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed. In other words, they're telling him, look, you know that law? You're not allowed to pray. He's praying three times a day. But did you see what else they said there? See, actually, that's true. It is true. They told him something true. He is pay, praying three times a day, so he is breaking the law that you made. That's true. But he also said, he pays no attention to you. That's, that's an exaggeration. He actually is very devoted. He pays attention. The king says, do this. He does it. And this is one of the ways that this type of leader works. They take something that might be true and they weave into that some things that are an exaggeration or not true. They kind of bend the truth in such a way to make the person look worse than they actually are. This is a type of leader. Now I want you to see the second type of leader, which is Darius, the king. Okay? Let me read to you a little bit about his response to all of this. It says, Then the king when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Now, think about that. He wasn't distressed. He was much distressed. Why? In that moment, I think the king begins to realize what's going on because of the way they've approached him. Hey, king, you're awesome. Let's make this rule. Okay, let's do it. Hey, king, you know that rule you made? You can't go back on your word. Yes, that's true. That's our custom. Oh, by the way, your number two man broke the rule. And he sees that he's been painted into a corner. And suddenly he's distressed. Daniel is the guy I'm thinking about promoting. Either it makes it look like I don't know what I'm doing. I chose a number two guy who is actually uh, shouldn't have been chosen. It makes him look bad in that way. Or 
Maybe he's seeing through the fact that they're getting rid of him so they can take his place. But he's my best. I've already said he's my best administrator. That's why I would make him number two. He's starting to see that. He's distressed about it. And it says that he then lends his energy to helping Daniel. It says that um, he set his mind to deliver. He begins to think about how can I get out of this, right? Totally different. These kind of leaders expended all their energies to plot and to build something for themselves at the expense of the king and at the expense of Daniel. He sets his mind in motion to salvage it. Different kind of leader. It uses the word labored. He, he labored, uh, uses the word rescued. He worked till, till the sun went down to try to rescue him. The sun goes down. That's his time. His time limit is up. So they come back to him. Now, king, know that this is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They come back again. You can't change it, king. It just seems backwards. You're not serving the king. You created this mess. But the king, you know what I put here too? He respects the customs. Most powerful man on the planet respects the customs. Because in verse 16, it says the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. I made it. I'm going to follow it. He throws Daniel into that den. And yet, we see some more in him. We see that this type of leader, there's some measure of faith. There is some measure of faith in him. Why? Verse 16 <clears throat> says, he, after he says, it says they cast him into the lions, the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So here it is. Daniel goes into the den of lions. The king is like, may your God deliver you. And then, I'm going to read to you what he does at night. But before I read that, the, when he comes back the next morning, you know what he says? He says, has he? So it's like there's a measure of faith. Right? It's, like, it's like, may your God do it. And then you come back, did he do it? You know, it's like he's not sure, right? And you know what it shows? It shows that there's this measure of faith. It's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar in the first part of the book, the first king he served under, because Nebuchadnezzar had a similar experience. It was like, I kind of believe your God. He seems, wow. But then when his friends got thrown into the fire, he was like, well, your God can't do that. I mean, I know what I know. And I know that when a human goes into a fiery furnace, they burn up. This is, now it's another version of that. I know what I know. And I know that I, I, there's a measure of faith, but I know what I know. When a human goes into a pit with hungry lions, they die. So I'm going to say to you, I hope it works out, but then I'm going to come back and I'm going to go, did it? You know, that's the kind of faith that's there. There's a little bit there, but he's, it's uncertain. That is a very common faith even today. Many people have some measure of faith, but there's a lot of things in life. We know what we know, and it causes doubt to have a strong faith in God. But it's good to see that there's something in him. That's better than the other leaders. At least there's some faith there. And then we see his concern. We see his concern in verse 18. It says, 
Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. You know, you know he cared about Daniel. And that takes me back to where he, he realizes I'm trapped. I, he knows what these guys are doing because he cared about Daniel and they know that he cared about Daniel because a guy like this has the entire kingdom at his expense. Do you not think he could find another administrator? Do you not think there's someone out of millions of people that can do the job? He liked Daniel because of the response. The response was no diversions. What does a king usually do? Entertainment, food, no, no Netflix tonight, don't make me any dinners. And then he can't sleep. It fled from him. He's tossing and turning in his bed. Oh, right now they could be eating him. And it just shows he cared about Daniel. And then he wakes up in the morning, the break of day, the, sun, the sun's coming up. That's when the injunction ends. I can do something now. I'm not trapped anymore. The sun's coming up. The break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near, he cried out. And there it is. The king declared, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Okay? So we're seeing two kinds of citizens, leaders, right? And I want to show you a third kind of leader. Because so far what we see is we got a leader here who's all about themselves, nothing to do with God. we got a leader who's got a little bit of a mix. And now we're going to look at Daniel and see what he does. The third leader, Babylonian leader, model number three. First of all, he demonstrates honor. You remember how these guys... They don't, they care about themselves first, the king second, because everything they're doing is actually working against the king. Look at Daniel. Daniel has just spent the night with lions, right? I mean, if the king showed up in the morning right at the break of day and said, are you okay? I think the first thing I would say is, yes, throw me a rope. Get me out of here right now. I don't want to spend another second with these lions, right? That's not what he says. It, it's, the, see, that comment is kind of, about self. It's thinking about concern for my well-being. Get me out of the lion's den. But what does he say? He says, then Daniel said to the king, oh king, live forever. His first comment shows he was about the king all the, all the time. In, instead of thinking about it, I was saying, king, live forever. I wonder what the king thought in that moment. I I threw the wrong guy in there. I mean, he's thinking about me. The other guy's trapped me, right? So with Daniel, we see he demonstrates honor, king, live forever, and he demonstrates the power of his God. Because he goes on to say, because he's going to answer the king, right? King, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And there's two things here. Number one, he demonstrates the power of his God. This is what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. The fiery furnace did not singe them. They came out, not even their clothes were singed. It's like they should have come out naked. At least the clothes would have been burnt off. But they came out unharmed. Daniel doesn't even have a scratch. It says they get him out. and It's like, is there any a scratch on you at all? And it says there was no harm, zero harm to Daniel. 
How? Because of my God. First thing is, King, you live forever. Number two, my God. My God sent an angel, shut the lion's mouths. My God commands wild beasts and they listen. Another way of saying it. It's showing him the power of his God. And yet there's still something else in that statement. He also reveals truth. See, men like Daniel, they draw truth out. Because, did you hear what he said? The reason the lion's mouths were shut is because God found me without any blame. So God doesn't see blame in me, and he wants to show it to you. Let me read it to you again how he says it. <clears throat> I was found blameless before him, that's his God, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And there's a way in which what he's saying is, those lions represent something. Those lions represent a penalty. Judgment. Judgment was made. You broke the law. I'm going to put you here. The penalty are lions' teeth. Teeth, tooths. Lots of claws. Right? And that's the penalty. Where's the penalty? God removed it. He removed it. Because God is the ultimate judge. He sits higher than the king of Babylon, than the king of the Medes and Persians. And he sees through the false things of people and he knows their hearts. And he says, I know Daniel's heart and I know the truth. And you know how I'm going to show you? I'm going to shut the lion's mouth. And so now you can see and the truth is revealed. And you know what else is revealed? Those guys are the ones that should be judged. And there's a way in which this represents even what happens on the cross. Because the cross is like the lion's teeth. It's a symbol of penalty for sin, for a judgment, for doing something wrong. And yet we are guilty. And yet God removes the penalty. How? He doesn't shut the lion's mouths. He does it another way. He sends his son to take our place. He gets thrown into the lion's den and he gets chewed up. He goes to the cross and he gets crushed on the cross because we are guilty. And there's a message of the gospel weaved in there. God is the judge. What else do we see in Daniel? We see justice. We see the truth of it. Look what happens. And it says the king was exceedingly glad, commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So he was, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. It's important that you, you, you grab onto that. It was the faith of Daniel. You go to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, and there's this chapter, all the great men of faith. Daniel's in there. It says, because of men like Daniel, the, the mouths of lions were shut because of faith. And then what happens? And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel, I love that it says maliciously, accused Daniel, were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now that's an important point because some people in history have said that the reason Daniel didn't get eaten was because the lions were fed the day before. They ate a bunch of guys the day before 
they had a full tummy. They're kind of lazily laying there in the shade. Daniel gets thrown in. They're like, meh. And that verse right there says that idea is wrong. Because those people, they, they're rolling to the bottom and never made it to the bottom. The lions leapt up and caught them up here and crushed their bones. Now, what else happens because of this type of leader? His actions enable a gospel increase. Because the next thing, it says, King Darius wrote to all the people, all the peoples, the nations, the languages that dwell in all the earth. Now that doesn't mean Antarctica. It means he wrote to all the, the, the empire, the largest one world empire at that time, which were the Medes and the Persians. And it went out to the whole empire. And this is what he said. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Because of his faith, he demonstrated the reality of his God. It blows his mind. How could hungry lions not eat you? Your God is real. And because of that, this message goes out everywhere. Do you know the benefit that now came from what Daniel did? Jews who were practicing their faith with hostility in neighborhoods, in the outer regions, not in the city. The decree shows up and says this very thing. They're like, whoa, we can practice our faith now because the king, it's like a new religion. He's just declared what our faith is the religion. That's the true God. We can practice it now. I mean, Daniel, the impact of what Daniel had was enormous. And because of that, Verse 28, then it says, So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now, at the end of all of it, do we see prosperity for Daniel. So, here's what I'm going to say to you. There's three kinds of leaders there. Three kinds of citizens. Just like that graphic at the beginning showed Babylon and the exiles live there, they're not the dominant force in the culture. When you go out those doors into Guam, into the world, Christianity is not the dominant force. It's a force, but there's a multiplicity of forces. And you're met with these challenges. Which kind of person are you? Are you the person over here who just is about themselves? All your values and how you function and operate are self-centered. You care about yourself, number one. How I feel. I, I want to be happy. So I'm going to orient my entire world around me. So that's accomplished. Or you like Darius. Darius is a guy who had a mix. He had a lot of, uh, I mean, obviously he's rich. There's a lot of opulence in his life. But some of his interactions have brought about this faith. And I want you to think about this because do you, did you, I, I didn't bring it out, but did you catch how he described Daniel? He said, oh, Daniel, be, let me just read it. Let me make sure I get it right. Let me, let me read you how he described Daniel. He said, 
May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Then as he's running in the morning, he's, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, your God whom you serve continually. He's not making it up. That is his observation of who Daniel is. He is a man that practices what he believes. I am a man of integrity. I'm going to live it that way. I'm a man of faith. You're going to see me praying. He lives his faith out in the public forum. He sees it in him. See, Daniel's the guy that we need in this room today. You need to be a Daniel who practices his, his faith continually. Do you build into your life the discipline of reading God's word and praying? That is the most simplest form right there. What did he see Daniel do? Pray. They knew he was a praying guy. And it impacted the king. Now let me show you a picture. I've shown this once before. I think this is the third time I've showed it in the 10 years, 10 years I've been here. How many of you have seen this picture? Do you know this picture? Yeah, if you see, we've got so many new people. That's why I'm recycling it. This is the Choloteca Bridge in Honduras. Now, if you look at it, there's something weird about it. You know what it is? They call it the bridge to nowhere. Who's using this thing? There's nothing on one side and a river on the other. But see, I think it was in the 80s. A hurricane came and was so fierce, it totally changed the lay of the land. It totally changed the topography around the bridge. If you go back in time and look at a picture around this bridge, there's buildings and there's, there's houses and there's a road and cars and people are going across it. But something changed. And this is... My challenge to you is this is where a lot of Christians are. They're a bridge to nowhere because the world's changing so much. I grew up with these kind of values, but now the world's sucking me in and it's like a Babylon. They're trying to make me like Babylon. They're trying to get me to believe like them, to live like them, to have the same values of Babylon. It's, it's, it's a, the river. There's a river now. There used to not be a river. I don't know what to do. And so you live in such a way that you're connecting no one nowhere. And the Bible says to be a Daniel. See, Daniel was a bridge right like this where he, he, he got the king Darius and he bridged him over to see faith, faith in his God. He's connecting him to the living God because at the end he says, there's this living God. He shut the mouths of lions. You are to tremble before this God. So Daniel did something. He was not a bridge to nowhere. He was a bridge that brought someone closer to faith. That is your challenge. When you go out and live in Babylon, what are your relationships like? Are you connected to people in a way that you're drawing them to faith in God? And you say, well, pastor, it's so hard. I'm persecuted. So is Daniel. I'm pretty sure you will not get thrown into a pit with lions. Might get fired, you know, but you're still alive. I mean, and here's the thing about, well, I'm going to give you these thoughts, okay? I didn't actually give this to the first service, so this is extra. You get a bonus, okay? Because we always have to stop because we run out of time. But I want to tell you what the Bible says to Christians who have to go through lion's dens. And I actually am borrowing this from another pastor. He's one of the pastors that I sat under for a long time, Dr. David Jeremiah. And this is what he has to say. 
First of all, the, probabil- the probability of you walking in a lion's den is very high. The fact that you are a Christian and you go out and live in the world means you're going to walk into a lion's den. That's the nature of being a Christian. Okay? I remember an old song that Michael W. Smith wrote. And in that song, it said, On the day you were saved, heaven and hell marked you down. Angels praised, devils raged, life became a battleground. Because when you live in, in, in Babylon, it's, it's going to strive against you. And so in one sense, it's like there's an expectation of it. That's just the nature of the Christian walk. So the probability is there. And here's the promise that the Bible gives to Christians who have to walk through the lion's den. And the promise is this, that you will not be kept from it, but you will be kept in the midst of it. God was with him in the lion's den. And whatever hardship you have to go through, God's there. His word, go to his word, go to his people, his community. Daniel couldn't, but you probably can. It's there for you. God does not promise to keep you from lion's dens, but he does promise to be there in the midst of it with you. And you know what? God doesn't always save the Daniels out of the lion's den. Look at, look at Stephen in the New Testament. He was stoned to death. In fact, the history of the church is filled of testimonies and stories of martyrs who died where God didn't intervene. You say, well, what does that mean? Sometimes God says, your time is up and I'm calling you home. One pastor said this way, a man of God in the will of God is immortal until his work on earth is done. You see with Stephen, when Stephen was stoned to death, God's work was done with him and he said, it's time for you to come home. But with Daniel, he said, I'm not done with you, so you can be with lions untouched. You're immortal. Nothing can hurt you or stop you if you are in the will of God. Sometimes when we go outside of the will of God and we make decisions that go against God's word, then we jeopardize. We can, we can put ourselves in jeopardy because we're outside of the will of God. And sometimes God allows the hardships to bring you back. Why is that happening? Maybe because God wants you to come back to him. Jonah is an example of that. Jonah found himself being swallowed by a fish because he was running from God. So we see the probability, we see the promise that he will be with us. And you know what? If we're in the will of God, we're immortal till he's done with us. And what's the purpose then? Well, I think we saw that here. You know, we don't, we can't always know. In Daniel's case, gospel increase. It went through the whole empire. We see a king get closer to God in his faith and things come out of his mouth that are like, wow, you sound like a Christian. You sound like a believer. That's two kings, two kings that he has influenced in their faith. Daniel has. We don't always know the purpose, but there is a purpose. And it's like Paul says in Romans that God works all things together for good. We can't sometimes see it until we get to the end why God is doing what he's doing. And just lastly, the prosperity comes after. These leaders, they're looking for the prosperity first. 
and they're going to cut corners and cheat and destroy people to get it. But it's not till he goes through the lion's den that God lifts him up and now he's prosperous. And you know, you know who that's like? That's like Jesus. Jesus went to the cross first and was crushed. And then it says after. In fact, it says Jesus humbled himself. The king of kings came down to earth, became a man, humbled himself, obedient to the Father, obedient even to the point of death, not just any death, death on the cross. And then the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, then God lifted him up in glory. The name above all names. Every knee will bow. Now you're a king that's recognized before you were a king that they killed. And there's something about the Christian faith that says God purifies us by allowing us to walk through lion's dens, to bear a cross, to get the things out of us so we come back to him, so that we ground ourselves in something that is sure. And then God builds things into our life that way. Well, I'm going to have to, to finish and I want to tell you that the second half of this book is astonishing. A lot of great lessons in the first six chapters. The last six chapters have a lot of prophecy. And some of it is astonishing. Even as I study it. Now, and I did in college and seminary, but... I mean, there's a story where, where there's a king who comes to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people come out of, their, of where they're living with the writings of Daniel. And they say, did you know Daniel wrote about you? And the king goes, whoa, really? And then the king goes and does what Daniel has written. He was already doing it, but he continues to do it. I mean, there's these phenomenal stories of history that validate God's word. You know why God can do that? Do you know why he can tell us? In the next six chapters, he's going to tell us how it all ends, all the way to the end. You know how he can do it? Because he knows. He knows the future. And the reason it's here is so when we look at it and we go, wow, everything you said came true. That means I need to look and see what else has not happened from the Bible that you say is going to happen. And I better pay attention to it because everything you've said has come true. That's one of the reasons God gives us the prophecy like that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Daniel. Thank you for its encouragement. Thank you for letting us see Daniel and letting us see how even at the level, highest levels of leadership, political infighting, you know, you got your man there. And yet he walked through the, the fires, the, the, the lion's den with integrity. I mean, all through Daniel, Lord, we just see various leaders at different levels, the highest to the mid-level, recognizing in Daniel his character that he wins them over with his spirit, how he handles himself, how he talks, the faith that he has in his God. He's not driven with stress and worry because he thinks he's got to control the situation or it'll get out of hand. No. I mean, many leaders in Daniel's case would be, how am I going to conquer 120 plus two political, powerful machine trying to take me down? They'd be so stressed out and yet, Daniel walks in it because he knows there's a God above all of them. That his ultimate faith is in, 
the hands of his God, that as long as he's in the will of God, he's immortal until you are done with our work. So may we have the courage to be like Daniel and through that courage, bridge someone. May we not be a bridge to nowhere, but may we be a bridge for those we come across to bring them closer in their faith to you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we'll finish as we worship together. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Seeing man of sorrows.